You're listening to English with Monty, the podcast about the English language. Talking about taking an English exam and preparation. Hello there. Welcome to English with Monty. We're on to episode number 37 and I've managed to find a suitable replacement for Gideon finally. Ben, Ben, you're on the show. Ben Gill. <laughs> Hi, John. Thank Hi. you for that. I'm honoured to be considered a suitable replacement for Gideon. I'll try to live up to that. Let's see. You know, I don't think it'll be too difficult. <laughs> Gideon's washed up, I think. His best is gone. Could you maybe introduce yourself? Because we're very recently met, mm -hmm. literally 30 minutes ago. That's true. So I thought I'd get in touch with you because you've got a very nice YouTube channel, which actually Gideon mentioned to me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. I've been an English teacher for coming up to 20 years now. Like many people, I think in the lockdown, I live in Spain. I was living in Madrid at the time and we had very strict lockdown. So I had a bit more time on my, well, a lot more time on my hands because I couldn't give my normal classes. And I'd been toying with the idea of starting a YouTube channel on and off for a few years. First videos were awful, but now I've been doing it for over two years. The channel is called To The Point English with Ben. I make a range of different videos for English learners, like vocabulary, grammar, pronunciation videos in general. It was just over a year ago, I think about a year and a half ago maybe now, I made one video on the Cambridge English exams, on how to prepare for and pass the Cambridge English exams, because I had experience of helping students with that. And that one was slightly more popular than the others. So I made a few more about the Cambridge English exams. And my channel is quite general, but a lot of people who are preparing for the Cambridge English exams have come to watch my videos. I think I help them, which is the idea of starting a YouTube channel, I think. Well, definitely. And I've been very impressed with what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you on the show. Thank you. And in particular, as you mentioned, the exams. So mm -hmm. you came up with the suggestion, which I thought was a very good suggestion on the idea of thinking about English exams and mm -hmm. how useful they are for English learners. I suppose we can talk about maybe the advantages and disadvantages of doing that and see where that takes us. Sure. I mean, that's a big question. Apart from YouTube channel, I, I teach English and I also started what I call the TTP, so to the point exam academy. I have a lot of students who are preparing for the Cambridge exams mm -hmm. who join this academy. And I always ask them when they join, you know, why? Why do you want to take, in this case, a Cambridge English exam? But this question should be asked when anyone decides to take any English exam, I think. You need a clear reason. English exams or testing in general, they're not necessarily the best way of learning a language. I think it depends on so many things. It depends on the student first and foremost. And I know many English teachers who are against English exams, against testing, and I kind of agree with them. I understand if we lived in some kind of utopia, like the perfect world, then we wouldn't need exams. We wouldn't need to test students. But there are lots of reasons why people want to take exams in general, but English exams in particular. And you have to, in my opinion, recognize that every student is different. We can't just say, English exams are a bad idea. In the modern world, they are a necessity for some people and for others, they are a motivation. We were speaking just beforehand, John, that we're both runners, right? We both like to run. For me personally, I don't know you, but I find it very difficult to motivate myself to go out and run if I don't have an objective. The objective is to get fit or to keep fit, but I need something a little bit more immediate. And for me, 
signing up for races, running races helps me with that. And that kind of can relate that to English exams in some ways. A lot of my students, they tell me that that's the answer to that question. Why do you want to take an English exam? And it's to motivate themselves to make that extra effort to continue learning. I think that's probably one of the main reasons, isn't it? And as you say, with running during lockdown, I was running maybe two or three times a week, but because I wasn't running for a particular race, because there weren't mm -hmm. any races, it, yeah. I found it very difficult to up my pace or to try and improve my fitness. I think it's definitely something to aim for, isn't it? Would you say that a lot of the students that are doing the Cambridge exam or working with your exam academy, is it? Yeah, the TTP exam academy, yeah. And would you say that most of them are looking for something to aim for or do they specifically have to take it? Because I've had quite a few Spanish students and mm. often they have to take the Cambridge exam for university. Is that right? Sometimes for university, but in Madrid in mm. particular, to become a teacher at a school, you need to have a C1 advanced Cambridge certificate. That was a big change. I think it was about 10 years ago. It is for many, many people, it's a necessity that you don't have a bigger motivation than necessity. Sure, they need sure. it to continue working in their chosen profession. For others, wide range. The typical answers I get when I ask that question, that is, I need it for a particular reason, for a job. Some people feel they need it for their CV. Many people say they have an advanced level of English on their CVs, but if you have a certificate to back that up, to demonstrate that, it's beneficial. Other people say it's just a personal challenge. A lot of my students in the academy, they have an advanced or a very high level of English. I think they've become a bit stuck they feel like they're not advancing and they feel that signing up for an exam will give them that push to proactively learn more vocabulary revise the grammar and for some people it's more specific they need something to study for a real objective and the, the cambridge exams or any english exam can be that objective but i think as i said it's not necessarily the best way it depends on the the student i've seen it with some of my students they underestimate the exams, when they start studying, it becomes quite an unpleasant experience. I mean, I try to keep it as light and fun as possible, but you know, you do have to prepare very well for these exams. When that happens, unless they need the certification for any particular reason, I just say, stop, don't take the exam. It's not worth it. You're losing the fun of learning English. Forget about it. You know, rediscover that fun. Enjoy the learning process again. Forget the exams unless you need them. I mean, I think that's a really important point, isn't it? If you do find yourself getting bogged down with it, getting really stressed, or you're losing the fun element of language learning, I think that's great that you can step back and say to them, perhaps this is a good time to pause and not to carry on. And then to try and, as you say, find what they love about language learning again. Because as you say, unless it's a necessity, if you are in that position, I think it is very important, isn't it? Yeah, to take that step back and not go ahead with the exam if you are losing the enjoyment because it can have a serious effect on your language learning, I think. It, it can. Really, really demotivate you, can't it, potentially? Yes, I've seen it happen and I think that's the worst thing that can happen and I'm very conscious of that. And this sounds a bit like a cliche, but it is. <laughs> but you have to remember that an exam, getting the certification is not the final objective. It's just one step or even a, a bit of a diversion on the journey that is learning English. You know as well as I do that learning English, it's a lifelong process. You don't really wake up one morning and think, ah, oh, that's it. I finished learning English. I'm happy with my level. I don't need to do anything more. Even the, the C2 proficiency level, if you get that qualification, that's great. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. But that's not the end. You have to continue your relationship with English 
after that, you have to maintain a, a good relationship with it. And Cambridge English exams in particular are difficult to enjoy because one of the recommendations I give, you have to expose yourself to input. Like you have to read things that you wouldn't usually read. You have to listen to podcasts or radio programs or watch films and series that you wouldn't normally listen to or watch because you need to expose yourself to a wide range of vocabulary. So you have to read articles about topics you wouldn't, maybe you're not particularly interested in, which I wouldn't recommend doing if you're not preparing for an exam, but because the range of topics in the Cambridge English exams are so wide that you have to be prepared for those as much as possible. It's difficult to maintain a positive attitude throughout that. Some students love it. I have students who'd taken the B2 first, passed well, and then gone straight on to prepare for the C1 advanced because they love to process. So everybody is different. As I said, every individual is different. So can't just give blanket responses to that question, whether English exams are good or testing is good or bad. Depends on the individual. It does, doesn't it? And I mm. think with something like exams, I often say as well to students, a lot of the time it's about exam technique as well. And it's not necessarily mm. always about exactly what you know, because particularly with the Cambridge exam, well, I suppose every exam really, isn't it? IELTS is the same. You have a certain amount of time in order yeah. to un answer certain parts, don't you? If you haven't practiced it yourself on a number of occasions, ideally, sometimes you can not do very well simply because you haven't got the timings right, rather than the fact that you're not very good at English. I mean, sometimes you can be excellent at English and you just haven't got your timings right. I mean, that is one element that I would always think about or remind students of. Yeah. As you say, it's no hard and fast rule, is it, for uh. each person? Maybe culturally as well, if there's more of an expectation within your schooling system and within your culture in order to take tests, maybe there's more of an inclination to want to do it. I haven't seen more recent statistics, but in, I think in 2019, 7 million people took a Cambridge English exam. And that's just the Cambridge English exam. The IELTS, I think even more people probably took them. Mm -hmm. And then all the other types of exams, a lot of people all over the world taking them. In my academy, there are students from, you know, not every country, obviously, but I don't have that many members, but we have had pretty much well, every continent, I think. I don't know about that. I'm sure it is cultural. Some nationalities seem to be more interested in that way of testing. But you mentioned the technique and strategy. And yeah, I agree. And that's a pity because a lot of preparing for an exam is knowing how to do the exam. I think it's 50% with the Cambridge English exams. As you said, the time management is so important that just knowing how to approach each part, a lot of it is not about your level of English. You need a certain level of English, but I've said before, a B2 student could pass a C1 exam if they prepare very well and know a strategy. Likewise, a C2 student could fail the C1 exam if they're not prepared, if they don't know what they have to do. It's all about being prepared, really. But that's interesting in itself that you say mm -hmm. that. I suppose the idea of a B2 student being able to pass a C1 would probably be more interesting to most people. Yeah. But it shows, though, doesn't it, that it is possible to do that as long as you get your technique right and doing it in a, hopefully, in a relatively short period of time. And how long would you often give people, say, for example, somebody's at a B2 level? B2 is, for those of mm -hmm. you that don't really know, it's kind of a European framework, isn't it? The mm -hmm. B2. So that yeah. would be. It's intermediate, upper intermediate? Up, yeah, I'd say it's upper intermediate. B1 is sort of intermediate. It's not that clear. And to be honest, I hate these <laughs> level categorizations because some people are, could be C2 in speaking and 
B1 in grammar, I don't know, to have a general level, it, I don't think it necessarily helps. But again, it's necessary. I think in the modern world, we need to categorize people but for certain things. But B2 is upper intermediate. The B2 first Cambridge English exam is tough. It's, it's not easy. I mean, obviously, you have two levels above that, C1 advanced and C2 proficiency. But yeah, B2 is tough. I suppose what I was going to ask you was, in your experience, if somebody was at a B2 level, and they did want to take the advanced Cambridge, mm. and they haven't really had an experience with the advanced Cambridge, how long approximately would it take them to coach themselves to do that? I mean, obviously, I understand every student is different. But in your experience, on average, how long would it take for them to go from one level to another? That is one of the most common questions I get asked. The comments on my YouTube videos or in the academy, it's how long do I need? It is a very difficult question to answer because it depends how much time they can dedicate to it on a daily basis. I always say at least the bare minimum two months. These are big, complex exams with every part has its tricks and strategies. So you need to get to know the exam, as I say in my videos, like the back of your hand. You need to get to know every detail of the exam so there are no surprises on the day of the exam when you open it. That takes time. You need to do as many sample papers as possible. And at the same time, you need to be sort of immersing yourself in English, reading articles in English, watching everything in English, listening to your podcast, for example, just listening to everything <laughs> as much watching YouTube videos, just surrounding yourself, not just surrounding yourself with English, but paying attention, taking notes. I always recommend having a very specific exam notebook so you can expand your vocabulary and revising all the grammar. Yeah, I would say two months minimum, but to be safe, six months. And some people dedicate a year. And even then, at the end of the year, they still don't feel ready. I don't think anybody really feels ready to take the exam. If anybody listening is thinking about doing it, unless you have experience, if you've taken the B2 first exam recently and you got a good score, then you could probably take a C1 advanced in a few weeks because in some ways that's better because you have the momentum, you know the exam very well. And they're, they're very similar. The exams, there are differences, but the B2 first is very similar to the C1 advanced and the C1 advanced is similar to the C2 proficiency, although it's important to get to know the differences too. So to sum up, two months minimum. Two months minimum. I think that seems fair, doesn't it? And that would probably be fairly intensive, wouldn't it? Exactly, yeah. At Monty, we offer English classes online, so you can join wherever you are. We offer individual lessons or English exam preparation. For first-timers in a group class, it's only £2. Visit our website at montyenglish.co.uk to buy this ticket or book any other package now. Another cliche I always say is consistency over intensity. You need to just do something almost every day, not literally every day, but have some kind of routine of doing something. A big mistake people make, I think, is trying to study four hours every day for the exams. and They burn out. Again, they develop a negative attitude or relationship with English in general and with the exams in particular. Yeah, just keep it consistent. As I said, the most important thing is to do sample papers, as many sample papers as possible, because apart from getting to know the exam and testing your level, you're learning from the sample papers. You can learn the type of vocabulary Cambridge look for, the type of grammar they're testing. You can improve your listening by doing the listening exercises. And if you have an opportunity to practice speaking, that's great. That's the one skill that most people find the most difficult to practice, of course. By doing sample papers, you are hopefully improving your English level anyway. I think doing sample papers are always useful, aren't they? Definitely. And yeah. as you say, it gets you used to what kind of things they're going to 
ask you a lot of yeah. the time as well. The topics tend to repeat, don't they? Mm -hmm. Maybe if you cover something like 12 topics or something like that, I, maybe that's a bit too much. I mean, it, they always have environment, sort of climate change. They always have education, yeah. some social technology. Yeah, I would say environment, technology and education are probably the three environment will definitely crop up sometime in the exam whether it's in the reading and use of english the listening or speaking or writing and sometimes more than once and yeah technology you can learn certain vocabulary that you can be quite sure will be useful i mean it could use general vocabulary like connectors and linkers and cohesive devices which you can use in any essay even in your speaking and the grammar the most difficult part to really improve is the vocabulary because you can't learn all the English vocabulary before your exam, mm. but you can revise all the grammar. That's possible. It's a lot, but it's possible. Yeah, as I said, having some kind of routine of doing something, hopefully, as I said, six months is more realistic, but if you only have two months, then it, it is just about possible. I wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend at least six months, you know, get consistency of doing something almost every day. Especially if you haven't done anything like that before. I think that's key, isn't it, really? And as you say, I think the important idea of not doing too many hours a day, mm. you're always going to have bad days. I've said this with Gideon, and we talked about this idea that if you have a bad day, you know, even if you just do five minutes, because you're really had a yeah. tough day at work. I mean, even if you just have a small contact, yeah, it helps you maybe recalibrate a bit but also helps you think okay well i've done something it may not be amazing but also as well it maybe makes you feel a bit less guilty i mean i, I know yeah. a lot of students i think we all are aren't we but they're very hard on themselves and they're like oh but i didn't do this and it's mm -hmm. like well but that's fine try and think about realistic goals and try and think about the idea of you having a really difficult day and just having some contact with the yeah. language and it doesn't have to be a lot i think it, you can relate it to running i mean if you're feeling really tired and you, you don't want to go for a run you're just looking for excuses if you say to yourself i'm going to go for 10 minutes i'm just going to go for a 10 minute run probably once you're out once you've got your trainers on and you're out you're probably going to do more than 10 minutes you know it's less intimidating if you just say i'm going to do 10 minutes and i think it's the same with studying or not necessarily studying just doing something in english yeah just say i'm going to do five minutes if you do five minutes great you've done something but probably once you've started you'll find it's more than five minutes you'll probably end up doing whatever you're doing for 30 minutes good tip definitely yeah I like that running analogy and i think that works quite well yeah you get out there you start getting into it and then you think oh okay well maybe i'll do a bit more yeah and i think that often happens doesn't it it's about not putting too much pressure on yourself isn't it really and, yeah it's kind yeah. of tricking yourself into getting out there and doing it i made a video about that yeah my next run is to the top of a mountain well it's a big hill but i tell everybody it's a mountain sounds um, more impressive yeah. exactly yeah but it's very near to where i live now so in this video it's just a huge analogy for preparing for an English exam you know you have to train of course so you have to study but you have to do specific training in my case running up a hill a mountain sorry <laughs> and then you need to run the route it's a good idea to run the route of a, the race so it's doing a mock exam the video is full of analogies I take the analogies to the extreme but yeah I think generally keeping fit and if you go to a gym or whatever you do it's very similar to studying English I think particularly running because as I said it's people often need a race to motivate themselves to get out there and to train so I can understand why people sign up for English exams it is important isn't it it's a mindset isn't it it's definitely a yeah. mindset and it's the way of thinking about it you touched upon earlier about the idea of speaking I mean speaking is normally the most difficult for most students hmm. but in these exams it's not really that long is it it's normally about 10 or 15 minutes is that right yeah, 15 or 16 minutes, depending on the exam. And as you mentioned, 
I think people often see me as the Cambridge exam teacher. I mean, there are many others, but I'm one of them. I'm not a huge fan of the Cambridge English exams. I think they're unfair in a lot of ways, especially in the speaking, because, for example, in the C1 Advanced, one of the tasks is to speak about two pictures. You have three pictures, you have to choose two, you have to compare the pictures and answer two questions in one minute. Mm -hmm. And the big challenge is to do it all in one minute. That's not a natural situation. Nobody has to speak like that in <laughs> the real world. Apart from that, it's also unfair on some people. For example, I'm not a good speaker, I don't think. I need time to gather my thoughts before I speak. So a lot of students are like that. We're humans. Some people are very good at speaking without thinking. They can just start speaking immediately. Others need a few seconds to think about what they're going to say. And, and often they pause. They're very thoughtful. In that case, the minute can pass and you haven't really started. Other people can say a lot in one minute, but it's not really fair, to be honest. It's not the same for everybody. And it's not really testing their English level. The actual speaking paper of the exam is quite short. For many people, it's the one they get most nervous in because they're being judged. They have to speak to usually a partner they've never met, the interlocutor and the assessor in the room. And it's, it's not a nice experience. So the best way to prepare for that is by practicing. And, and yeah, as you said, very few people, most people don't have the opportunity to practice in general, but especially with getting feedback from a teacher. I mean, that's the best thing you can do, but it's not easy because just being in that situation, in that environment, it's pretty scary for many people. And again, that's not really testing their English level, it's testing their ability to overcome this unnatural and stressful situation. And it's just trying to find the key to that, isn't it? And being prepared for that short minute, isn't it? I suppose trying mm. to think of choice vocabulary phrases you can use that may impress the teacher or thinking very quickly, isn't it? Yeah. And trying to have things in your mind that will just come out immediately, I suppose. Um, yeah. Because with the writing as well, I always say to students, it's worth having just a few phrases in mm. mind that maybe you can put a third conditional in there mm, definitely, just, to, yeah. just to show the examiner that you can do it i mean obviously yeah. it's, if it's appropriate and it's the exactly. right thing to do great but often it's just remembering small things like that isn't it that will impress the teacher yeah uh, can be quite small things can't it like exactly it, yeah just using a really interesting word that you wouldn't ordinarily hear non-native speakers use can mm. really help can't it definitely and that helps a lot as I said, there is certain vocabulary you can use in any essay, for example, cohesive, like that. however, furthermore, firstly, secondly, in conclusion or to sum up. That helps people just feel more comfortable and, and confident. But yeah, as you said, grammatical structures, the examiners are looking for a range of grammatical structures. So conditionals, inversion, passive voice is very important. So it's almost like a checklist you can tick off. Okay, I've included, as you said, very importantly, it must be appropriate and suitable. But when you're planning your writing, you just think, I can use this structure here, this structure here. And that's why I also started making these vocabulary videos, like 10 advanced adjectives, for example, or 12 advanced adverbs, whatever they are. The first video I made of vocabulary, it was synonyms for basic adjectives. So a synonym for interesting, a synonym for boring, a synonym for important. When you're writing, you just think, well, if I write, this is very important. What about if I write, this is of paramount importance? If you just have that up your sleeve or in your bag or whatever, you can use it in almost any writing composition. So yeah, I completely agree with it. It's testing how well prepared you are for the exam rather than your, your English level per se. So that's just the way it is, unfortunately. I don't think they've designed a perfect English exam yet. No, and I guess they never will, right? I mean, no. 
we have to work within the parameters that we have and having those little phrases are, are always really useful. And I think I've decided what, if you ever want to come back on my podcast again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd uh, love to. Yeah, great. We might have to do something on advanced vocabulary. Uh, it's a good thing to cover, definitely. Yeah. Because I think a lot of students are interested in that kind of thing and seeing yeah. how they can sound a bit different. Those are some of my most popular videos, my advanced vocabulary videos. I always recommend that you learn vocabulary in context. But I think just having certain vocabulary, and I, I don't expect people who watch my videos to remember all the words, but having this vocabulary, having a few words to call on when you need them, or even in your passive vocabulary, I get some comments on my video saying, this vocabulary is useless because nobody uses it in real life. Well, that's not true, first of all, some people do, but I probably wouldn't use most of the vocabulary if I'm talking to my mate in the pub, or even today, I haven't used any particularly C2 level advanced vocabulary, but it's very useful for writing. And again, for your passive vocabulary, you may not use it, but when you're reading a news article, you'll understand more. You may not be able to use the vocabulary in your speaking or your writing, but you will understand more. Expanding your vocabulary in general is important, I think, if you want to continue improving your level of any, obviously, any language. And for a lot of the understanding, I suppose, is when you're reading, isn't it? And necessarily yeah. speaking all the time. And that must be true, I imagine, of any language. Obviously, when you're reading, you're going to see a lot of words that you wouldn't necessarily mm. see or hear when you're speaking. That's why I suppose as well, it's a good idea to have those synonyms, yeah. isn't it? Because very basic words sometimes have quite unusual synonyms, don't they? Yeah. That really sound quite impressive in the right scenario. And I guess the right scenario could be in an exam. <laughs> exactly. Here's the perfect opportunity. Yeah. As I said, yeah. I've made lots of videos. Paramount importance seems to be the one expression that every time I correct a writing, paramount importance comes up, which makes <laughs> me feel good because it means people are watching my videos and paying attention. But I don't know why everyone's gone for that one. It, it seems to be the most popular expression. It's an easy alternative to important. You say it's very important that we reduce carbon emissions. You say it's of paramount importance that we reduce carbon emissions. It's just improve that sentence very quickly and easily. It's just one example, of course. It gives more weight, doesn't it? It's yeah. of paramount importance that people listen to this podcast. Episode. Exactly. It's Perfect example. <laughs> Crucial, vital, Crucial, vital. <laughs> loads of synonyms. Yeah. Just keep on downloading it. Keep on sending it to your friend. This is of paramount importance. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> Make it go viral. That's the key. I think we've covered quite a few things. Were there any other things that you wanted to cover off on? I think anybody out there who's thinking of taking an English exam, make sure you establish a very clear reason because it's not easy. It, it will become a big part of your life for a few months. So don't take it lightly. It's not necessarily the best way to improve your English, depending on, on you. Think twice before you sign up for an exam. As I said, some people love it. Some people really enjoy the experience. It motivates them. It's happened to me with my Spanish and I've lived in Spain for 20 years, so I speak Spanish, but I'm not really improving. I haven't improved for years, I don't think. I occasionally learn a new word. I guess my listening's improving naturally, but a lot of people who have a good level of a language, they need something to give them that extra push to get to the next level. And for many people, an English exam is the answer. I don't want to be considered like the exam teacher because I'm not, <laughs> as I said at the beginning, I want to help people. A lot of people need help with the exam, so that's what I want to do. I'm very careful in all my classes to make it clear to my student that may not be the best thing for you. I don't want to be encouraging people to do something and then in two months they're saying, oh my God, that Ben. Why yeah, did you say that? Yeah, <laughs> it's ruined my life. <laughs> Hopefully you haven't done that to too many students. No, only a few hundred, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
Me too. Right. Yeah. Part of the job, I think. I think that's a really useful insight. That's great that you said that. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Really think about it. I'm going to consider you a bit of an exam guru, I've decided. <laughs> okay. Um, if on your channel, is there anything in particular you would recommend somebody, Ben Gill, to the point English? Is that right? To the point English with Ben. Sorry. Actually, no, it's okay. okay. Yeah. In my Facebook page is that Ben Gill to the point English. My YouTube channel is to the point English with Ben. So you're asking any particular video? Just one video for exams. The first video I made on the Cambridge English exams was six tips on how to pass the Cambridge English exam. That's all you really need to know. Although having said that, in January, I made an updated version. So now it's 11 tips, but I discovered five more over the time helping people. Those are the general ones. And then I've made more specific, like how to do part one of the speaking paper, how to do every part of the exam. I think I've covered some in more detail than others. I think it's always when there's more than five and less than 10, it's always quite quirky as well. It makes people yeah. remember it. I think I tried to get it down to five. I needed that extra one. If there are six, there are six. I can't change that. No, fair enough. I really appreciate you joining me today, Ben. I think that should hopefully give people a good insight as to how they should go about English examinations. It's uh, been a pleasure. Thank you. Indeed. And then hopefully, if this hasn't been too traumatic for you, hopefully <laughs> I can get you on again. I've enjoyed every second of it. Yeah, I'd love that to come back. Yeah. That's good news because normally I have to pay Gideon. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, well, if you told me that before, <laughs> maybe I would have negotiated. The check is in the post is what I always say to Gideon. For some right. reason, he hasn't received one yet. It must be the postal system in Paris. I'm sure that's the case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As I said, thanks for joining us. Thanks to all the students listening today. You've been listening to English with Monty. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave me a donation online via our website. Monty is a small independent company and I do all the editing myself. I would suggest £2.50 to buy me a coffee or £5 for a beer. MontyEnglish.co.uk Then just click on the podcast button at the top. You can donate here. Thank you. I appreciate it.